Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, we've got a hot topic today. <laughs> we do. Is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? And um, <laughs> there it is. Just throw it right out there. <laughs> yeah, we'll just throw it right out there. Let everyone go ahead and take their blood pressure medications and everything. Um, but it, you know, it's interesting because I think uh, I've done a couple polls on, on this question. Yeah. It, it's not going to be as stressful and doesn't have to be, I think, as most people right. believe, right? Uh, yeah. And we'll talk about this today. But really, I think for the majority of the folks in our circle, the issue really just comes down to uh, defining terms. Um, and how we apply those to different aspects of our Christian walk, Uh, how we apply it to maybe justification versus sanctification, uh, regeneration, so forth, so on. Um, So, brother, why don't you start us out with some definitions? Um, What do we mean when we say the term monergistic or monergism? What, What does that mean? Yeah, so monergism, um, that uh, has the word mono in it, and that really means uh, one. So God alone does that work. And we, when we say synergism, similar idea of being synergistic or synergetic, um, it, that means two parties um, are at work uh, together in that. And when it comes to sanctification, and even as we talk about sanctification, um, I do like to distinguish between positional sanctification versus progressive sanctification, right? And, and so I, I think it helps to think about the word sanctification first before we even go any further. Um, In the Bible, we do see the word sanctify, and and it really is the word holy made into a verb. That's all Mm -hmm. it is. Um, Just as the word saints is is holy applied to to people, holy ones, um, it's really the idea that we are set apart. And so when God saves us, he sets us apart from the world, um, and, and that's positional sanctification. That happens right at conversion. Um, and that's completely 100% a work of God. And then when we talk about progressive sanctification, the work that God does in us from the time that we are saved to the time that we are brought into his presence, um, there is a process in which we are be- being made more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's where the debate is. And unlike prior podcasts, where a lot of the issues that we address are typically issues that um, everyone within our community would be on one side of. So, you know, if you if you uphold the sufficiency, the inerrancy, and the authority of Scripture, generally you're going to be in agreement with us um, through all of our episodes. This is one of those areas where you can agree to all three, but you can be on one of two sides on this issue of progressive sanctification. So the question is, the fact that we are made more and more like Christ, is that a work of God alone, meaning it's monergistic, or is man involved as well, meaning it is synergistic? And I'll let you take the opening thoughts from there. So we talked about a couple things first, right? So we did a few polls of this. And uh, in our circles, it is about half and half, guys who would uh, fall on the monergistic side, synergistic side. Um, I think you made a really uh, important distinction there that I've not heard come out much. And, and it really would be part of my opening thoughts is... You know, I like to, uh, for for lack of a better picture, think of sanctification as as a coin and as two sides. 
One is the immediate sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit does uh, upon regeneration. That is God's work alone, solely, and holy. Um, You cannot... Uh, it, you can't be a believer without having been sanctified. I mean, by your very nature, that's what has happened to you. You've been right. set apart. You've been sanctified. However, there is another side of that coin living here on a fall in a fallen world where we have to work. Uh, we work at our salvation in fear and trembling, right? Um, and that is the other uh, part of sanctification, which you've mentioned. And so I see those two things as being um, different yet inseparable. Um, how God works yeah. in one is slightly different than how God works in the other. However, without God, neither one of them happen, right? Right. Um, Right. And so, I would say that our progressive sanctification is synergistic. Now, let me just say this also. Typically, when we use these terms, monergism, synergism, typically they are actually used in reference to justification, um, so, if I'm reading something and those words come up, I'm going to assume first that they're speaking of justification. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes in, right? People are, are mixing up regeneration, justification, and sanctification. So, let's just back up justification because typically, you know, this is where these terms would apply to. Um, I, I think it's probably only um, more recently or later on that we would use the terms uh, to speak of sanctification as well as, uh, but we apply them a, a bit differently. So, when we're talking about justification, we're talking about, um, it, you know, God through the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He makes us n- a new creation in Christ. We have been regenerated um, and we have been justified. That yeah. is not something that we can participate in. We're not active in that. That's a work of God alone. Therefore, it is monergistic in every way. Um, And that's how we would originally use the term, you know, monergistic. Now, there is another side um, on that theological coin that of folks who would say, no, justification is also synergistic, meaning that while God regenerates you through the Holy Spirit, um, makes you new. There's also the active will of man who participates, right? And so we think of Arminianism uh, when we talk yeah. about this. So that is, I think, historically and traditionally how these terms are used. So we're moving from there to talk about synergism. And I think this would help a lot of the discussion because instantly I think guys are thinking of justification when you say monergism or synergism. And so, rightly, um, if you say, it's sanctification is synergistic, but you're confusing sanctification with justification. You're taken aback and you're thinking, wait, no, uh, God, God alone saves us. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. So just to make that distinction. So we are not talking about justification. We are not speaking of regeneration, but of sanctification. Um, thoughts on that, brother? Yeah, and I think that confusion is uh, mostly with um, those who are Arminians or even Pelagians, right? Um, and, and definitely a confusion with the Roman Catholic Church. So the Roman Catholic Church would believe that salvation is um, synergistic, that, that both um, 
uh, participate in that. And in some of the events that you're talking about, we are getting into the Ordo Salutis, right? So we're talking about the order of salvation. At conversion, there's the regeneration. Um, we're called, uh, we're justified, we're adopted, uh, we're sanctified uh, from a positional sense, all that God does um, on his own. Now, when it comes into the sanctification, um, there are disagreements, even for those that understand the distinction that you just described as it relates to salvation. Um, because um, people uh, will uh, go to certain scriptures, like, for instance, Philippians 1, verse 6, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That is very much a progressive sanctification verse, but it really speaks to the power of God who's at work within us. And then yet, in the very next chapter, chapter 2, verse 12, then you see Paul giving the commandment to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and the very next verse says, for it is God who is at work within you, right? So it, one verse talks about how God is at work within you. And then yet the prior verse is the commandment to the believer to work it out. So I think even as we talk about what, we, what we're talking about when we say uh, sanctification is synergistic, what is it that we mean? Because I, I hear that people who stand on the monergistic side um, misunderstand or misrepresent the, those who believe in the synergistic side mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. So I actually believe when I look at the arguments from both sides, I think we're actually, for the most part, saying the same thing, but we're using terms in a different way. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that is the majority of the issue here. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we say that um, sanctification is synergistic, let me clarify what we're not saying. Okay. Um, we're not saying that man and God participate 50-50. That is some sort of equal affair. All right. Or that the power of man is somehow involved in making us more like Christ. I would absolutely refute that. There is absolutely no power of man. There is no will of man that actually um, makes us more like Christ. But we see throughout these scriptures, we see a lot of imperatives um, being targeted right at Christians. Um, we are expected to keep Jesus Christ's commandments. I mean, that's part of the Great Commission not only baptizing them, making disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there is a discipline that's involved there where we are commanded to obey Jesus Christ. Now, well, on the other side, we'll say, well, wait a second, obedience is not the same thing as sanctification. Yes, but um, disobedience, we can see through the scriptures, for instance, um, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. Um, Galatians chapter 5 talks about the war of the flesh and the spirit, right? And uh, the spirit wants you to do one thing and the flesh wants you to do another. And then you are given a list, which include the deeds of the flesh and, and the fruit of the spirit. And that's meant so you can discern um, whether you are walking by the spirit or whether you're walking by the flesh. So there is no question, an element that's required here of obedience, and I think uh, both sides would agree that obe obedience is important. That's part of calling Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the Lordship of Christ. We follow him. We obey him. Um, but what we, we would say is that if we don't obey him, um, we are in some way robbing ourselves of the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work within us. Now, when we do, when we do uh, cooperate through obedience, then we grant the Holy Spirit to be able to work within us, but the work is the Holy Spirit's alone. Um, so I would say that from the time that I was saved to where I'm at right now, um, I, I have grown, but it has not been uh, growth by my power. It's been growth completely and 100% by God's power. And yet I would still say that um, 
sanctification is synergistic in the sense that we don't just let go and let God. We don't just uh, turn a blind eye to our sins. We don't just treat casually the disciplines uh, of our faith, but we recognize that as we discipline ourselves, God's work within us is, is perfected. Um, so it's, it's kind of a tricky balance there. But um, I, I think we would all agree that obedience is important. We would all agree that it's 100% the power of God within us. Um, and we would also want to clarify from our side that when we say sanctification, we don't mean that both sides participate in the same way. Yeah, no, those are good points, brother. And you made some good distinctions there. So <clears throat> I, I think one thing that would be helpful is, um, it, you know, when we speak of justification, right, the act of being justified as uh, being righteous before God, and that happens at the time of our conversion. Um, it, if we were to use the word monergism in the same way there as we do um, when we're talking about um, our sanctification, it wouldn't work. Uh, yeah. what, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, because you actually are not an active participant at all in your justification. Um, th- yeah. There's nothing that you do. There's nothing that you participate in. You, you, in some sense, it really is just let go, let God, um, yeah. because you had nothing but enmity with God before. You had nothing but hatred uh, towards God before. And so, when we talk about monergism uh, in terms of justification, we really do mean there was nothing that man had to do, could do at all. Now, if you, if you rightly apply that definition when we speak of sanctification, you would have to say the same thing. So, um, in sanctification, is there ever a time or is it possible, rather, a better question would be, is it possible for man to never do anything and still grow in sanctification? Well, of course, the answer is no. Um, but you can't just sit in your living room floor and then just be being sanctified without participating in the ordinary means, without uh, being an active member in the church, without reading your Bible, without praying, without uh, exercising yeah. the disciplines of the faith. Right. And, and so you can't even use um, the word monogism in the same way for both of those. If you do, um, then you're just not using the word correctly, I think. So some of uh, the misunderstanding comes in with how we're using those terms, right? Um, so we say, and again, and I think R.C. Sproul did an excellent article. Uh, I can't remember the title of it on this issue, but um, he and many others basically said the same thing that you've said. When we, when we say synergistic sanctification, we are just simply acknowledging the fact that man has now a responsibility in his faith, where previously all the responsibility rested on God to bring you into the faith. Now you have a work to do. And it's hard, yeah. right? Yeah. There's obedience, whereas before there, there's no obedience in your justification because there's nothing you can be obedient to. Um, God does the renewing. God uh, prompts, um, brings you to repentance, all of that. Well, now we just mean synergistic in that you have to participate in your faith, right? Yeah. So, it's not a 50-50 thing at all. In fact, we would even go as far as to say, I, I think that even your willingness, your desire, and your yearning to now participate is born out of the Holy Spirit uh, yeah. working in you. But nonetheless, you still have to obey. You know, and so we get passages like in James. In fact, let me just read this passage 
um, James 2, 14 through 26. It says, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Well, who does those works, right? It, is God doing them alone, uh, or do you have to do them? Well, of course, you have to do them. Uh, it goes on to say, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warned and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Um, and, and, and so, we have this tension of faith, which God grants us all on his own, and obedience and active participation, which is something we have to do. Um, and so, it's synergistic in that sense. Yeah, and I think that's a great example. And I also think of Ephesians 2. And by the way, when we, when we talk about, even hypothetically, um, the idea of a Christian doing absolutely nothing in his walk, um, in some ways, I can already imagine some people saying, well, that's a hypothetical impossibility as well, too, right? Um, because if we believe what the Bible says that, um, and, and I believe, and I know you believe as well, God has to give us a new heart before we can respond to the gospel, right? So, God gives us a new heart. And in fact, we just had those mugs and t-shirts that uh, were printed that had the ordo salutis that starts off with um, foreknown, uh, predestined, um, regenerated, called, and then justified, adopted, sanctified, and glorified. Um, so, we understand that, you know, regeneration comes first. And when we go to Old Testament passages that describe that regeneration, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, where Moses talks about how God's going to circumcise the heart. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, where God in the New Testament is going to write his law upon our hearts so that we will walk according to his statutes and ordinances. Um, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, how God's going to replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Um, and he's going to give you his spirit so that you may, he's going to cause you to obey. Um, and so, we we see that God is effective in, in the work in, of giving us a new heart. And once we have a new heart, um, our response to the gospel, you know, the, the, the tulip uh, describes it as, um, I believe, um, 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 irresistible grace. Um, some people like to call it um, effectual grace or something like that. But the idea is that once God has showered you with his grace, it's not that he's controlling you like a robot, but once you've been given that grace in a new heart, um, you actually are going to respond because when you see the truth, there, there's going to be, in your mind, there's going to be no other reason to choose anything else but the truth. And so, we also know that with the power of the Holy Spirit, um, one could argue that it's a hypothetical impossibility that one would just simply do nothing all of his life. And yet, when, <clears throat> when I take you to Ephesians chapter 2 and, and the letter of Ephesians, this is like you know, if you want to go to a letter that teaches what is God's vision for the church, this is where you start. You start with yeah. the letter of Ephesians, right? And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, this is like the biography of all Christians, right? It starts off, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then verse two, it just, verses 2 and 3, it describes how you formerly walked. And we understand the word walk. That is a key word in the book of Ephesians. Paul uses it over and over again with key commands. But when he talks about walk, we understand this talks about how we live, how we behave. And he said, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and you formerly lived in the lusts of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and were by nature children of wrath. But then further down, by the time you get to verse 8, it talks about how far by grace faith. And Paul repeats this five times that it's all God, it's not you. It's all God, it's not you. And then verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. The outcome of our salvation is good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So if you were to look at that, you would see that there is an effectual element of this, that when we are saved, we are saved with the certain result that we would walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand. So that sounds like, well, then it's monergistic. God creates all of that. But the central commandment of Ephesians, I would argue, is in chapter 4, verse 1. So we know Ephesians is broken out into six chapters. The first three chapters are theological. And Mm -hmm. as is the pattern of Paul, he often starts with theology, so that once you get the theology, then it leads directly into the application and it follows just, it's a a logical uh, follow-up from the theology that he has just shared. And this is the central commandment of the entire book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so that's the central commandment. So not only do we see in chapter 2 that the natural outcome of our salvation is that we walk in these good works, but the central commandment then is to walk in a manner worthy um, of that calling. And so it is both a work of God, but it is also a commandment to us to take part in it. Now, where does that line get drawn? I don't know exactly where that line gets drawn, and neither did even Paul. Paul talks about the works that he did, and then he says, not I, but the Holy Spirit within me. He said that in the book of Galatians. Um, so, we, we see both um, both at work, but again, not in the same kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, one could be um, – I think it, oftentimes in our camps, there's this very hesitant uh, reaction when anytime we talk about a work, uh, right, as though it's it's legalism. Um, and uh, but, you know, we're supposed to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Is that verse saying we work for uh, work for our salvation? No, um, th- that working is an evidence of a proof of. Uh, the fact that we are genuinely right. saved. Um, and I, I think, you know, when we're talking about this, I, I, you know, one, I think before we talked about the fact that you can't, um, you can't use the word uh, monergism for, uh, to describe our sanctification because it just doesn't work. Perhaps there's a better term than synergism, um, yeah. but you certainly yeah. can't use monergism at the very least. Uh, but I think, you know, what we're trying to communicate is that there's human responsibility, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that's what synergism, what the term would communicate here uh, right. when we're talking about sanctification. We certainly, I think, would all agree that man is responsible, right? Yeah. Um, we're responsible f- before we come to Christ, um, right? I mean, we, we understand yeah. this. No. No man um, is helpless and uh, w- without um, without responsibility, and so we we get that, and that's no different when you're a believer. You maintain responsibility. In fact, your responsibility, I'd argue, is even greater um, as a believer, and it's hard work, right? Being a yeah. Christian is is hard work. I think we just need to acknowledge that. Um, you know, let me go to Titus three, as I think, uh, or, or or rather, Titus two seven. And just another good indication of how um, we have to take responsibility um, in our sanctification. So, you know, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to Titus. He says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, 
with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Um, I mean, there are passages after passages after passages, but this is, you know, Paul commanding Titus to teach others to take responsibility and to do um, righteous works to live in a way um, that is acceptable for the Christian and all for a reason so that the opponent would be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about them. Um, you can go to the next chapter, uh, Titus three, one. I mean, we get the same kind of thing, right? Um, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to slander no one, not to be contentious, to be gentle. There's all these you do, um, you need to be, you need to act, you need to do these things. Um, and so synergism is just very simply communicating that you have a role to play. And as you submit to the word of God, as you uh, function in obedient ways, God is the one through the Holy Spirit who actually does the sanctification. But yeah. if you just go to church one Sunday a week, and that's all you do, you can't expect your sanctification to look anything like the person who is wholeheartedly participating and being an active member and engaging in prayer. And if it were monogistic, yeah. the results would be the same for either one. But that's not the case. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess, it, you know, you, you mentioned that um, sanctification can be monogistic. It, it can be if you're just focusing on the power. If you're only focusing on the power that uh, makes you more like Christ, then, yeah, you can say sanctification is monergistic, but you can't say it in the sense that man has no in it at all, um, because he does. And and we had just mentioned that the word sanctify, it's really to, to be made holy. So, in the Greek, it's just the word holy applied as, as a verb. And I heard one argument, and I've heard this a few times, that nowhere in the scripture um, does it, are you ever commanded to be more holy well, I would disagree. I would go to First Peter chapter one. So First yeah. Peter chapter one, verse sixteen, Peter quotes Leviticus uh, when he says, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." Now, that's an important statement. God says, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." Now, if we're talking about sanctification is just the positional work that happens at conversion, then this is not this is not even a command. Um, but the fact that he says, you shall be holy, what is he talking about? Well, the preceding verses leading up to that, starting in verse 13, says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But here's the important part, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. So that is a direct command not to act like what's once, what we once act like. Do not be conformed. Verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So there we see the actual word holy. Peter is applying it towards our behavior, saying, do not be conformed, but rather be obedient uh, to the one who, is, uh, who has called you. So I would point to that verse as, as a verse that talks about our holiness is very much tied to, connected to our behavior. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that we provide the power, God provides all the yeah. power, but we do um, cooperate through our obedience to what God calls us to obey. Yeah, and so I think outside of 
definitions and using the same definitions in the same way, whether we're talking about justification or now sanctification. Um, and then beyond that, understanding that, I mean, really, there are, are two major aspects of sanctification and understanding which one we're talking about, right? Are you talking about positional sanctification, which we've mentioned? I mean, that is your position before God. If you were to truly uh, come to Christ, you're be to be made whole and new again in Christ and you die in 10 minutes, um, you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Um, You have been fully sanctified. Um, As opposed to if you live a very long and full life, when you die, yes, you're sanctified. Um, But you will have to grow in sanctification here. Uh, The difference between our position in heaven, as it were, um, versus our progressive sanctification you know, you're, you're in, in some sense, it's one of those uh, doctrines where it's, it's already, but not yet. Yeah. It, it, you know, you're already sanctified, but not yet. Um, it, you won't realize that sanctification, that positional sanctification until you leave this earth. Um, yeah. Right. Although it's true spiritually. And so, uh, but you know, brothers, second Peter is another one of those. Um, you get down in chapter three or chapter four, I forget. And it says, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and he's just got through uh, telling them to beware of certain things so they aren't carried away with error. Um, well, you, you can't grow in grace and knowledge without some kind of participation, uh, right? That's an active yeah. call to being more holy. I mean, growing in grace is just that, right? Um, and, and so we have those commands as well. Yeah, no, those are great points. And, and some may, there might be some of you that are confused as to why we make this distinction between positional and, and progressive. Well, throughout the scriptures, um, the saints are often uh, addressed as those who have been sanctified. Um, so for instance, uh, first Corinthians, uh, chapter two to the church of God, which is at Corinth to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, and it refers to it as a past work. In other places, it might talk about being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, because they're both involved in that um, in that initial work. And when you understand that means to, to be made holy, you understand that there is a positional sense where that happens right away. And that's described numerous times uh, throughout the Bible. But we do see a progressive element. Like So, for instance, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that's the great verse on sovereignty. He causes all things to come together for good. And he goes on to talk about um, those whom he foreknew, he predestined, those whom he predestined, he called, justified, and glorified. Um, but uh, in that, he talks about we've been predestined to be, to be conformed into the image of his son. Well, that conformity, that act of conformity does not happen overnight. And even in Romans chapter 12, Paul gives the command, do not be conformed um, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22, 23, 24, talks about how we learn Christ, and, and part of learning Christ is that we are putting away the old man, we are being renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we are putting on the, the new person um, who, is, um, in, who is righteous in, in Christ Jesus. And so, we, we see both of those concepts, that there's an initial sanctification that is um, positional, it happens at one time, but there's also that ongoing pro- process where we become more like Christ. And and again, um, just to say it again, it's all the power of God, um, but we are called to obedience. And when we disobey, um, I, I believe we we grieve and uh, and we lynch the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, for that season, um, we, uh, we, we, make it, uh, we make it so that we're not growing as we ought to. Now, we do believe in the uh, preservation of the saints. There's both the preservation, but there's also the perseverance. So the preservation is all God. God's the one that, God's the one that preserves you. Um, and, and in many ways, you, you could say the same thing. He perseveres you, but we are also called to persevere in the faith as well. So, <clears throat> again, very, um, this is one of those concepts that I think we won't fully comprehend until we get into heaven. Yeah. Um, but I think it is very clear that, um, that both sides are true. Yeah, and I, you know, we understand paradox. We understand difficult, um, you know, theological discussions and debates. And so, I, I, I would also encourage people when we start talking about the the very deep things of how God and His Holy Spirit work in us. Uh, we ought to always approach the topic not in a combative way, but in a very humble, um, respectful way. I mean, we we are we are talking about how the God of the universe uh, through the Holy Spirit operates in us and through us. Um, and, and so it's right to think deeply and to um, pull out all of these uh, glorious truths that the scripture has for us. But, you know, understand when we're talking about these deep things of God, we ought to do so very humbly. Um, we are just yeah. creatures, right? Trying to understand the, the greatness of an infinite holy God. Um, and so yeah. we, we should wrestle with these things, but we should do so with uh, lots of patience and long suffering and, uh, and that sort of thing towards one another. But, uh, you know, brother, you made a good point. Uh, we make these distinctions um, because they're all throughout Scripture, you know, our positional sanctification versus progressive. And I, I just, when you said that, I was just thinking of, well, the fact that how many times are we called saints in Scripture? And then yeah, immediately right. following that, we're told not to sin in some ways or to do yeah. things better in other ways uh, after he's already said your position is this, but now you need to mm -hmm. do these things. Um, I mean, Ephesians uh, 5, and I'm, I'm preaching through Ephesians now, so I'm loving it. Um, but uh, Ephesians 5, you know, again, uh, it says, and walk in love. Okay, so that's a command to, to do, right? Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. So avoid all of these things, okay, as is proper among saints, right? So he acknowledges yeah. your position as a saint, uh, there, uh, by the way, there's no such thing as uh, as an you're either a saint or you're not. So you're a child of God or you're not. So that's your position. And yet he's warning yeah. against um, immorality and impurities. Uh, he goes on to say after he's recognized that they're saints and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give of thanks. And so we see these kind of distinctions every time you see the word saint. Understand, he is speaking to who you are, how God views you. Um, that is your position. But then he goes on to give us commands um, and yeah. how we should live and how we should operate. And so it's it's it, it's an easy thing. Once you see it, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And just to expand upon the fact that we're saints, um, this should give us great security as well. Uh, I mean, our salvation can never be taken away. The fact that we are called saints is a reflection of, just as you said, we've been made positionally holy. 
And no one can undo that. No one can undo that work. If you once you are set aside by God, um, you remain set aside by God positionally, no matter what happens. Um, that, that's a truth that that you can bank on. And every time you see the reference to saints, it should remind you that our position is absolutely secure in terms of being made holy by God. Um, and yet, uh, again, all the commandments of the New Testament, the commandments are there for a reason. And then see, here's the thing for me. If God did the work and we were not required to participate in, in it at all, um, then really the New Testament, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't see why they wouldn't just write it as, these are the things that are going to happen. Okay, now, yeah. that, now that you've been saved, these are the things that are going to happen. That's not the way it's written. It's written as commands. Mm-hmm. These are the things that you are to do. You are to walk it. I, I implore you, right? Um, even when Paul is, is, um, is writing that final letter to Timothy, he tells, you, uh, he, he tells him to, to preach the word in season and out of season, and he, he stresses the importance of that command. Uh, he reminds Timothy that things I have taught you, you be sure you teach others so that they can instruct others. That's 2 Timothy 2, 2. That's the four generations in one verse where we're to pass on what we have learned. And also Paul would write quite often what you have seen in us imitate yourselves um, imitate me as I imitated the lord that's first corinthians chapter 8 uh, verse 1 so again I, I don't think when we talk about these arguments themselves i don't think anyone uh, on our side would disagree with the arguments themselves that we are called to mm-hmm. obey um, I, I think it's really what does this mean in terms of this term and, and on that term. I think we believe the same things, but I think we're defining those terms differently and we're misunderstanding the other side when they say certain things. Yeah. And, you know, so someone could very easily listen to this podcast and say, okay, well, we believe all the same things. This is just semantics. Why does it really matter? Well, I, you know, in some sense, uh, maybe if you never use these terms in your day-to-day life, it, it, it wouldn't matter in that sense. But in the world of social media and communication, yeah. it, they do communicate different things. Um, it, you know, I've, I've unfortunately seen very heated conversations over these two things. Uh, and of course, when I've read the exchange, I think, yeah, I mean, these two brothers believe exactly the same thing. Uh, they're, they're just using wrong terms. So, um, I, it, terms matter. Definitions matter. How we communicate with them matter. And so, anytime, I think we can take the opportunity to be a little more precise in those things. And I say this as one who fails at this often. Um, it, it Then we should do that, right? If we can communicate in a more succinct way uh, yeah. that provides... Um, room for less misunderstanding, we should do that, right? And, and so, I think it's helpful just in that way, even, to talk about these things. Yeah, and you had mentioned the term, uh, kind of the saying, let go and let God. Um, that comes from the, uh, the Keshek theory, um, Keshek theory of sanctification, um, where that, and that we would reject, um, because people that hold to the Keshek theory of sanctification essentially are antinomians. Um, they, they're, they're against any kind of commandments, the idea that we obey anything that uh, the Bible says. If we emphasize that obedience, then we're essentially legalists and we're preaching a false gospel. That's what many of them say. Um, well, we want to avoid that error. And I think for the most part, the people who affirm the inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency of Scripture, I think most of us, especially in the Reformed camp, would agree that uh, we are not to be antinomians, okay? So, the commandments of, uh, are in the New Testament are there for us to obey. So, we do obey them. We are not antinomians. And the let go, let God, you brought up a good point, too, that depending upon how you apply that phrase, it could be correct and it could be wrong. So, with regards to salvation, God alone does that. Absolutely true. 
Um, with regards to sanctification, though, we want to be careful of using that kind of phrase because I have yet to meet people that have come out of that kind of background um, who weren't beset by some various serious sins in their life or who were not showing the fruit of the Spirit, um, as we would see in Galatians chapter 5. So I, I think we take very seriously what uh, the Bible instructs for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We take very seriously the Great Commission when it says, teach them to observe. That's the process of disciplining. That's discipling and disciplining. By, by the way, discipling is really from the same root as discipline, right? So discipling is instilling discipline. Um, so discipling is, is helping people to become disciplined in their walk with God. And in so doing, God uses his power to make us more like Christ. Yeah, those are good points, brother. And, I, you know, I, I don't like to go to the experiential side of things much because it can it can be confusing. But uh, let me just give offer an example, you know, because we all have this in our own life. And I think this example um, it just speaks to what Scripture already tells us. But if you think of those areas in your life where you have grown, uh, where you can see the evidence of God working in you, you'll always be able to find an intentionality that you yourself have given some effort to in that growth. Whereas we all have areas where we'd probably maybe maybe just theoretically like to grow and we haven't seen much growth. And if we're honest, we'll see we haven't put much effort uh, behind those areas too. Um, all just to say that absolutely God and God alone is the one who produces the sanctifying benefits. But if there's no work on our part, there's nothing to sanctify. It, it's sort of like um, in, in, in charismatic circles, in the Pentecostal circles, uh, they'll often speak of how the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth and the Holy Spirit teaches you all truth. That's true. However, if you never read your Bible, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to illumine. Um, and, and, and so here, if there's no work being done on your part, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to sanctify, right? There's no growth because the Holy Spirit just, just doesn't, you know, look at you and say, poof, and magically all of a sudden you're uh, more holy than you were three weeks ago. Um, and, and so that's what, that's the kind of thing we're talking about when we're speaking of man's responsibility and why we're saying that it's synergistic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we think about uh, sanctification and, you know, the, the way I like to look at it is this, I mean, if we're not doing anything at all, we're, we're simply now the common accusation made from um, monergistic, uh, those who believe in monergistic synergism, I'm sorry, monergistic sanctification versus synergistic sanctification the common accusation is that, well, you guys believe that man gets some of the glory for you becoming more like Christ, for you becoming more holy. And I would say, no, that that's all the power of God. But even if you were to take that accusation and, and say that that's what we're saying, um, you have an opposite problem with the monergistic view. Because if someone is really struggling with a certain sin, can't seem to overcome it for much of his life until much later, then what are you saying is the reason why that person wasn't able to overcome? Was it because God just didn't give him um, enough strength to overcome it? So on either side of the coin, no matter how you look at it, there is some sense in which man has to be involved. Otherwise, you are either giving God the blame for someone not credit 
uh, when he does overcome. But we do know as a fact, as you mentioned, um, for those that have overcome sins, they have grown, you are able to look back and see that there were times where you have sacrificed, you have cooperated with what God has said, you have trusted the power of the Holy Spirit to get you through trials, you have trusted in verses like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will not tempt you beyond what you're able, but will always provide you a way of escape. And so all we're doing is just trying to meld together both the truth that God's power is within us and the fact that we are given a ton of imperatives throughout the New Testament, a ton of commands throughout the New Testament that we are expected to engage in and to obey. Yeah, well, brother, that was sort of like a two by four to the face, I think. Um, If if man takes no responsibility in the sanctification, God has to be guilty for the length of time you stay in your sin. That, I mean, that, that's, that's a powerful way to put that. Um, but, but I think again, that that's very helpful in, you know, as we think through and process where our part is, because I, I don't think anyone disagrees that somehow man is active, you know, just what do we call that? Uh, how do we think about that? Um, but in all cases, if, if our belief leads to God being responsible for sin, then then whatever it is we believe is is not correct, right? Because God is never responsible for sin, and so right. sometimes those those things are very helpful. But um, yeah, well, I I mean, I, brother, I think we've been through plenty of scriptures. Uh, I, I think we've defined the terms well. I think we've helped people understand that you can't apply these terms in the same way with uh, when you're talking about sanctification as you do with. Um, justification is just not the same. Uh, any other last thoughts before we close out? No, I think this was a very full discussion. Uh, we've come at this from a multitude of angles. And for those of you who are listening and you have additional questions or uh, want to kind of debate certain points, uh, feel free to respond to us via Twitter when we post this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for joining us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.